Open your Bibles tonight to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, moving along. Here's a question tonight. What is the most God-glorifying thing? What thing brings the most glory to God? What thing results in the most glory given to God? Is it a church that is full of worshipers exalting our Savior? Is it a song that lifts our spirits, that fills our hearts with joy? Is it the Word of God, every word, proclaiming the excellencies and the glory of God? Surely it is the Word of God. I know it must be the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Surely no event reveals the glory of God as much as our Savior's death for sinners and his miraculous resurrection. Surely it's when the angels declare, he is not here, he has risen. What is the most God-glorifying thing? Friends, hear me tonight. The most God-glorifying thing is a lost sinner, dead, condemned, guilty in their sin, a sinner, shamed, broken, lost, without one hope, saved by the grace of God through the work of Jesus and standing in eternal life. All glory be to Christ. Well, tonight we're going to peer into this glory. Tonight, we as feeble people, sinners even, in the grace of God, we are blessed to look into tonight the glory of God through his word. What a blessing for us tonight. Our message tonight is entitled, A Salvation of Splendor. A Salvation of Splendor. Tonight we're in John chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. Just the first two verses, John chapter 17, verses 1 and and two. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word, a salvation of splendor. John chapter 17, beginning in the first verse. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight, we're thankful for you. We do praise you tonight. We exalt you. We worship you. We're thankful for this 75th night. We're thankful for your word that is, that is spoken to us, your word that has grown us, has encouraged us. We're thankful for the opportunity to come as your people, redeemed in your blood and to sing your praises and to, to fellowship with one another, again, worshiping you. Lord, I'm thankful for this night and I pray in this night. I pray, Lord, that it would not be just another night. I pray that it would not be a normal night. I pray, Lord, that you would speak in this night, that you would move in this night, that we would see our Savior Jesus through your word this very night. Lord, I pray the fruit of that is that you'd be glorified. I pray the fruit of that is that we would be grown as disciples. I pray the fruit of that is that the lost will be saved tonight in the hearing of the gospel of good news of a risen Savior. Lord, we give you this night. 
We ask that you take it, multiply it, bless it, and use it for your name's sake. We give it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Tonight, as we travel along through the Gospel of John, tonight, as we move along in our journey with Jesus, we come tonight in our study to a prayer but not just any prayer prayed by any person and for sure not offered on just any occasion, this tonight is the prayer of a lamb. A lamb like many previous lambs that would die for sin they had no part in committing. A lamb choice and perfect in every way, given so that others might go free. A lamb whose blood would be shed as a sacrifice and offering to appease our holy God. But also a lamb unlike any previous. In fact, unlike any other lamb. This is the lamb of God. And as odd as it seems, as strange as it seems, this lamb is God. This lamb is is perfect in every sense of the word perfect, Complete, infinite perfection. This lamb, for the first time, is the kin of the guilty. Not an animal of the pasture, but instead a man, a descendant of Adam. This lamb of God will be the final Passover lamb. Praise the Lord, no others will ever again be needed. And as this Passover lamb approaches the altar of our redemption as he draws near to the site of his own sacrifice, this lamb, our lamb, prays this prayer. Friends, I don't want you to lose sight of that. I don't want you to lose the magnitude of that tonight. Tonight we're going to look at the prayer of our Passover lamb. Now we're going to take several nights to look at it. We'll not go quickly through it. And tonight we will begin looking at this prayer of our Savior, Jesus. Chapter 17 records this prayer. We begin tonight in verse 1. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. In verse 1, the verse starts off, and it says, Jesus spoke these things. The apostle John records for us, Jesus spoke these things. Now this is referring to the previous three and a half chapters recording the the dialogue, the conversation of the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. During this one night, Jesus has served them and he's called them to humble service. In this one night, he has had fellowship with them And then he has commanded them to love radically. He has spoken to them, and then he's called them to abide in his word. He has held them dear, and then he's asked them to remain in him. He has told them of his own coming fate, and he's warned them to expect the same. He has told them he is leaving, but he tells them in his absence the Holy Spirit is coming. He tells them as his work ends, theirs will begin, and they are commanded, called to bear not just fruit, but much fruit. He has told them it will be hard, 
He has told them it will be tough. He has told them in this world you will have tribulation. The last thing he tells them, however, is that they can take courage. I have overcome the world. The Bible says, having loved his disciples, he loved them to the end. And the finishing words of Jesus are words of victory. He says to them, I have overcome. The verse goes on, Jesus spoke these things. And lifting up his eyes to heaven, it continues, and lifting up his eyes to heaven. Now we could move quickly past this, and we have many times. We, we could just move over this, but I think this is worth seeing tonight as well. The Bible says, Jesus, having said these things, picture this, lifts his eyes to heaven. So here he is on the road to the Garden of Gethsemane as he approaches there on this night, in the dark of the night. Picture him. The Bible says he lifts his eyes to heaven. In Psalm chapter 3, it says, the Lord lifts our head. Well, I want you to see tonight, Jesus needs no one to lift his. Be sure he has no defeat that would cast his eyes downward. He has no sin that would bow his head in shame. He has no failure that would plunge him into embarrassment. He has not been overcome that he would be downcast. And so Jesus on this night, the Bible says, lifts his eyes to heaven. But it's not just that he lifts his head. It is where he sets his eyes. You see, he looks to home, and so he looks to heaven. He looks to glory, so he looks to heaven. He looks to the Father, so he looks to heaven. His work is nearing completion. And so before he moves onward, he pauses on this night and he looks upward. His eyes are fixed on heaven. The verse continues, he said, and he said, the first words of the Lamb's prayer, the only word that would make sense here, he, he prays, Father. His first word is Father. In the other gospel accounts, he teaches the disciples to pray in the same manner. Their first words are, Father, which are in heaven. And so here Jesus starts and he prays, Father, he starts with his Father. In this word, there is great mystery. Here the divine petitions the divine. Who can make sense of that? Here God himself is requesting of God. How does that make sense? In this word tonight, there is great familiarity. Jesus prays not to some unknown force, not to some unknown being. No, his prayer is spoken to his father, his dad. He calls in prayer on his father. There's familiarity in his prayer. In this word tonight, there is great love. Love shown in obedience. Love shown in submission. Love shown in true worship. Soon he will say, not my will be done, but thine, as he submits alone to the Father in love. He prays to the Father. He goes on, the hour has come. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, the hour has come. The hour has come. Now see tonight, the lamb is sure 
the hour is now. At previous times, he said the time was not then, but now the lamb is sure the hour is now. Be sure tonight, this is an hour ordained before there was ever a single hour. This is an hour fixed in time by those outside of time to lift sinners to life without the limit of time. This is an hour set to remedy the hour when the first pair fell in that fateful rebellious hour. This is an hour that eternity flowed to and that eternal life will flow from. This, understand tonight, is the apex of ours. It is the climax of ours. If you will tonight, it is the hour, the single hour of all hours. Jesus says the hour has come. Can you feel it? Can you imagine this? He looks into heaven and he says, the hour, this hour, the hour has come. Can you feel the magnitude of that? Then here is the request of our lamb. I want you to notice tonight it's not for safety. Notice the request of the lamb is not for comfort. It's not a short-sighted call for deliverance. He could have said that. No, Jesus the lamb prays, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. That is his petition. That is his request. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Folks, this is the circular escalating glorification of our glorious God and his saving son. I want you to watch this. The Greek word for glory, glorify, in our estimation, is too small. In fact, it's far too small. The Greek word for glorify, it is too puny. In fact, I will tell you tonight, it is far too puny. Very simply, we think glorify when we should think glorify. It is a word tonight that is so grand, it is complex to communicate. If you look up glorify in the original language, there's no one easy definition. It, it translates to bring about, to result in the good opinion of. It translates to adorn with luster. I want you to think about these words. To glorify is to adorn with luster. It translates to dress in splendor. It translates to render as excellent. To render as excellent. It translates to exalt to a glorious rank. Very simply tonight, what I'm limited in depth, I can only make up for tonight in volume, where we think glory, it actually means glory. I want you to picture this. In this one event, the son, now watch this, the son requests glory from the father. That's this petition. That is this prayer. The son, Jesus, God himself, request glory from the Father so that he might heap glory on the Father. That's his request. And as the Father heaps glory on the Son in the events of the cross, he magnifies that glory by heaping it back on the Father. And so I want you to see what is going on here. Here we have the limitless, infinite possessors of glory in a race 
to outdo the other, heaping glory on the other. And so I want you to understand what's happening here. As the Father glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father, and then it escalates. And as the Father glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father, and then it escalates. And as the Father glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father. Listen, for the lack of a better word, when we say glory, what it means is glory. That's what it means. Now, what is this event? I'm glad you asked. Verse 2. Even as you gave him authority, the Father, over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, Jesus, he may give eternal life. Now I want you to see this in the second verse. The Father has given Jesus authority over all men, over all flesh, that all whom the Father has given to him. Now I want to take just a second here. It won't be long. But I want us to see here that is not a God-imparted limitation. There are some will say, well, this here is a limitation. No, the Bible says that all that believe in faith are the ones that the Father gives to the Son. And so there's no limitation on the part of God. All that will believe in faith are given to the Son. Now, it means all of those in Jesus will receive eternal life. And so get this tonight. We're almost done. Get this tonight. See this. Sit up if you want to. Listen. The most Jesus-glorifying event, and therefore the most God-glorifying event, is when a lost sinner, dead, condemned, guilty in their sin, a sinner broken, lost without one single hope, saved by the grace of God through the work of Jesus, stands not in the filth of their sin, but stands in a robe of righteousness, having entered in to eternal life. And I'll just tell you tonight, for lack of better words, where we might hear that and say, glory, the Lamb's finished work testified to by saved sinners tonight, says glory, glory in a saved sinner. That is the thing that glorifies our Savior and our Father. Praise the Lord. Glory. So tonight, two things. First is this. If you've never trusted Jesus, I want to tell you the the reason this glorifies him is because we didn't earn it. It's given to us in grace. It's given to us in kindness. There's nothing we can do. We're stuck in our sin. But seeing our helpless estate, Jesus comes. He takes the form of a man. The Bible says not just a man, but a bondservant. Not just a bondservant, but a a slave that would go to death, even death on a cross. And there he dies your death, my death, paying my penalty. He's placed in a grave. The penalty's paid in him. He comes out of that grave and he stands in glory as the victorious Savior, the remedy for sinners. If you've never trusted Jesus, trust him tonight. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, he's your hope tonight. There's no other hope. Trust Jesus tonight. Second thing is this. If you have trusted Christ, you know what? We can have a part in leading people to Jesus. 
Most God-glorifying thing is when a Savior stands in the righteousness of Jesus, saved by the grace of God. The Bible says they will not receive if they do not hear. May we be the ones that tell them. May we be the ones that tell them. If you're saved tonight, tell a lost and dying world for the glory of our Father, for the glory of the Son, there is a Savior in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come tonight and I'm thankful for you. I'm so thankful. And I pray, Lord, that you are glorified. I pray that that your glory is heaped upon your glory. And I pray that you're exalted even in this room tonight. You are our king. You are our Lord. You are our hope. You are our anchor that holds, Lord. You are peace. You are our foundation, our strong tower, Lord. You are life. You are our light. And so we come and we praise you tonight. Lord, I pray two things. Again, if there's someone that doesn't know you, I pray that in this night they would turn to you and they would trust you. And in trusting you in faith, they would be saved. Lord, and then I pray we as believers, as we hear the echo of your heart in this word, these words of your prayer, that we would seek your glory as well. We wouldn't rest until we told a lost and dying world of Jesus. Lord, help us in that. We give you this time. We ask that you move. We ask that you work. We pray that you're known through it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close tonight with a time of invitation, a time of response. And all, all of that is about this. The heart of Christ is that people would be saved. That's what verse 2 says. That's the fact what this whole gospel says. The heart of Christ is that people would be saved by faith, that they would turn and they would trust Jesus and that they would be saved. The call for tonight is this, trust Jesus. Turn to Jesus. He will save you tonight. This very night, he will save you. If you've trusted Christ, but you've never fallen in believer's baptism, I want to give you an opportunity on this night as well to come and say, I want to testify to what I believe of Christ. I want to celebrate what we believe of Christ. Not part of your salvation, but testifying to the salvation we have in Jesus. The Bible says it's always by immersion. It's always after the point that we're saved. If you've recently been saved, maybe somewhere further back in the distance, but you never fought in believer's baptism, I want to give you an opportunity as well to come and let's set a date. Let's testify to our Savior, Jesus. Maybe you're here looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here. You come as well and together we'll serve for his name's sake, for his glory. Maybe tonight on this Wednesday night, you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. The Bible says nothing is too big, nothing is too small. So you come in humility. Maybe you want to come pray here at the altar. I'm going to ask, no one would stir about, no one would head for an exit. You would pray for those that are making decisions. As we stand this thing, if God has spoken to you, you step out. You come on, I'll meet you here. You come on, I'll meet you here.